0: Either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? <laughs> you waste all our film.
1: It's so bad!
0: More baby boomer music this week and some scares as well. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. If you haven't noticed, it's summer. I don't know where you are, but where we are, Columbus, Ohio, It's hot. Finally! (laughs) Yeah, finally quit raining and and turned hot, but we are smack dab in the middle of the summer movie season. And we will start with a rom-com musical hybrid. It's a story of a struggling musician realizing he's the only person on Earth who can remember the Beatles after waking up in an alternate timeline where they never even existed. It's yesterday.
1: Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are?
0: Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation.
1: When I find myself in times of trouble Mother Mary comes to me Sorry, I'm just listening to Jack's new song. What's this one called? Uh, leave It Be. Let It Be.
0: Well, rock on, Jack. The one, the only. Jack Mallet.
1: We would like you to write something right now. Something in the way she moves No one's ever written this many great songs. Hey, you I've been waiting half
0: my life for you to wake up and love me. But I'm a school teacher,
1: and you are the world's greatest singer-songwriter.
0: I'm not. Except for you are. Hope says I'm not allowed to do this review in a bad British accent. We were headed this morning to our TV gig. We're on Good Day Columbus every Friday morning, and I was like, "What if I talk about the movie like this?" No. (laughs) The Beatles wrote it. it. It's the Beatles. Paul McCartney! Stop it! Right away, this is such a great premise. Um, it's it's charming before you really even start the movie. I mean, when you just watch the trailer. In fact, it's such an instantly recognizable premise that Danny Boyle, who directs this movie, he when he was first offered the gig, he passed because he was sure it had been done already. Right, right. It's so obvious. Yeah. And then they convinced him that, no, it hadn't been, and he's a huge Beatles fan, so he jumped on board. So... So it's Danny Boyle, and the writer is Richard Curtis, who's done a ton Love of Actually. rom-coms. yeah. Yeah, some good, some eh. But yeah, Love Actually and Four Weddings and a Funeral in Notting Hill. So uh, you've got that sort of gravitas from your uh, film resume, mm-hmm. paired with just an unabashed fandom for the Beatles, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, you get Yesterday, and uh, it's newcomer Haimesh Patel, who stars as Jack Malick. Mm-hmm. And he's a struggling musician in Suffolk. He's just about reached the end of it where he says, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going anywhere with this. And his longtime friend and manager, Ellie, played by Lily James, tries to convince him otherwise. But he's still unsure, and he rides off into the English night on his bicycle. And wouldn't you know it, there's some sort of weird worldwide blackout solar flare thing. (laughs) And uh, he has a run-in with a bus and then he wakes up without his two front teeth in the hospital and nobody remembers the Beatles.
1: It is a fun premise and uh I like the execution of it. And there, you know, part of it, I think the reason that it works is because Patel is such a great vehicle for the audience. Oh yeah. Where, you know, he's just like you almost think, Well, I have to reintroduce this <laughs> music because People need to hear it, well, you yeah. know? And, and, of course, he's a struggling musician, so that's yeah. convenient. It's
0: good for his career. And, yeah, instantly we're on his side because we're still in the old world with him. Yep. So just as he's playing these songs and just trying to get across, no, these are life-changing songs. And the one friend is like, well, it's not Coldplay. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, so that, that, to me, the early part there is when the... the Movie is most likable. Mm-hmm. You know he's go- he can't believe it yeah. that no one remembers the Beatles, so he's googling and, and he yeah, gets nowhere. Right, and it's
1: also funny the way so it's like then he's just trying to think of all the Beatles songs I he can know. think of. So you can see <laughs> these post-it notes covering the wall of his bedroom where he's yeah. trying to remember all of these, and then yeah. he's trying to remember the lyrics to them. is very funny. It's yeah. very um, it's very engaging. It is,
0: and he he is engaging, and uh, he's also a good musician. He does plays his guitar, yeah, and plays and sings, piano, he yeah. sings, yeah. So then, of course, as people do catch on to these, not only that they're good songs, but he amazingly seems to be able to write them at a moment's notice. Yes, he does. (laughs) So that's part of it, too. And then he's off. His star starts rising, of course, and then he's off to America, and he gets uh, caught in the big record company machine, and he falls under the tutelage of Ed Sheeran, who plays himself. Yeah, very self-deprecating and fun. Very. I like that uh, Ed Sheeran's ringtone is uh, an Ed Sheeran song. (laughs) (laughs) As if we don't hear them enough already. But uh, and
1: Kate McKinnon, Kate McKinnon, oh, spot on, hilarious yeah. as this smarmy record exec who's just as open about her oh, yes. intentions as she could possibly be, oh, which exactly was really right. funny.
0: Exactly right. So then, that's when, for me, the movie starts to drag a little bit, and it is a full two hours. And I think if they could have, you know, cut maybe fifteen or twenty minutes, that is where they could have cut it from. Mm-hmm. That's when it starts to drag just a little bit, um, and then you kind of lose the fact that Lily James isn't around as much. You realize how much she brings to the movie. she does. She's really good, and uh, you want to get back to the rom-com part of it because, obviously, you can probably guess where the will-they-or-won't-they story is going to end up. But another thing I liked about this movie is a lot of people right away when you see the trailer, you probably think you know how it's going to end up. As as far as the fantasy uh, Beatles thing goes. And I don't think you do. No. And that is nice, because um, the ending that you're expecting would have been a tremendous cop-out. Yeah. Um, And so they don't do that. And uh, I do appreciate that. And it's not only is is it obviously uh, another way to appreciate the Beatles' music, because these are songs that we've heard a zillion times. They are part of the global fabric, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, you see them stripped down to their basics and then reintroduced again. And people having that, quote-unquote, Beatlemania feeling mm-hmm, all over mm-hmm. again, and you realize how great many of these songs are. Oh, They're tremendous. Yeah. yeah, they are. And so, as if anybody needed to be reminded how great, you know, the Beatles were, this movie does it mm-hmm. in a joyous way. And, of course, you get to sing along to the ones that uh, that you know, and you know them all. And it does give you that uh, nice little, it, it, it's not really deep. I mean, it is pretty slight in, in a lot of uh, cases, but it also is a look at, Life's choices and Mm -hmm. how fate can hinge on a simple choice maybe you didn't realize at the time was such a fateful choice. Uh, And so without beating you about the head about it, Mm -hmm. um, it's nice and charming and very likable. Mm -hmm. It's probably not something that you're going to remember other than the Beatles songs. Right, right. But I thought it was just really likable and a great, you know, midsummer movie. Next, we've got a different kind of toy story. While babysitting the daughter of Ed and Lorraine Warren, a teenager and her friend unknowingly awaken an evil spirit trapped in a doll. What doll would that be? It's Annabelle. Annabelle comes home. Everything you see in here is either haunted, cursed, or has been used in some kind of ritualistic practice. Nothing's a toy. It's safer for these things to be in here than out there. Sometimes it's better to keep the genie in the bottle.
1: What did you do? I let her out. Who? Annabelle. I'm sorry. What else did you touch? Everything. The doll. It's a beacon for other spirits. As Phil actually mentioned on the TV gig this morning, our movies are all about making bad choices. <laughs> and this one certainly is. Oh, I yes. mean, from the, from the, and, but it's, it's f- so much more fun than what I really expected. I it, mean, from the opening sequence. Yeah, it really was.
0: Uh, it turns into basically a haunted house movie. But before we get there, we're really reintroduced to this franchise's connection to the Conjuring right. universe directly. So,
1: right. So this is the third uh, standalone Annabelle film. And, but we, she was introduced in the first place in the first conjuring film right uh it's like the you know this the stinger before the before the film starts mm-hmm. proper you you're introduced to Ed and Lorraine Warren and they go to this like teenage or the young women's apartment these this roommates apartment and and uh, so we, we're back there we're back in their apartment with them when Ed and Lorraine take the doll with them yeah they prop her up in the back seat as if she's a passenger and drive home that way and I remember thinking to myself would the trunk not be a better choice
0: well you know right away I had I had visions of that, of the great scene in Tommy Boy, where all of a sudden the deer is awake. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Annabelle has some fun on that ride home a little bit.
1: It's a fun ride home. I it mean, is. it's a very, and it sets a good tone. the The whole movie, you know, don't overthink it. But the movie itself seems to really love kind of old-fashioned, jump-scare horror movies. Yeah. The opening sequence loves Hammer and Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> and so do I. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, both of these, both the big movies this week, same with yesterday, don't overthink it. Yeah. That was a fantasy. It's a musical fantasy. You know, don't, don't overthink it. Same way here. Because oh, yeah. I've said before, jump scares are not my favorite, but as jump scares go, this one handles them pretty well.
1: It does, and you know what it does really well, so especially once you're... (laughs) So what do they do with the doll? They take the doll home, and they put her inside this glass case in a room inside their home, full to the brim of demonic objects. (laughs) They lock the door, and then they literally leave town and leave their young daughter and a babysitter there. So many bad decisions. Well, let's be
0: let's be fair. They do put up a note that says, Positively do not
1: open. They do. So they do. Come on. That is really true. And demons tend to do as they're told anyway. Yeah. That's a thing. It's a silly film. Which is not to say it's it's an outright, it's not sort of like Chucky was last weekend. There's nothing campy no. about it. It no, takes no. itself seriously enough, but uh but it it's just fun. It's not so basically every scene is a setup for a scare. And yeah. then you go to the next scene, which is a setup for a scare. And if you if you think about the previous one for too long, you're like, well, how did they leave? Wait, what? Don't. Don't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so really, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, they're really only in this movie at the beginning, at the end.
1: Yeah, it's it's really almost a glorified
0: Their young daughter, who's played by McKenna Grace, so good. who's
1: really so really good. good. Yeah.
0: You may have remembered her if you saw the movie Gifted with she was Chris She so Evans. good in that too. Uh, she yeah, she is really good in this as well because she has as their daughter she has inherited a little bit of this uh, psychic ability as well
1: and also and this is a surprise the friends at school the kids at school think that she's creepy yeah
0: because her parents are weird and it's got out it's got out via the papers that yeah. they're into this uh, you know spectral business so yeah her babysitter is the really nice girl mm-hmm. but the friend that comes over she's the one that opens pandora's box yeah, here and does. another thing i liked about this movie is the writing because when you see the trailer you're immediately thinking you Idiot, because she says in the trailer, "I touched everything." Yeah, that's what else did you touch in there? She says everything. But here in the movie, it gives her a sympathetic backstory, and it makes you sympathize with her as to why she's doing it. And when so there, you don't hate her as much when she releases all this evil, and you're you're not rooting for her to get killed. No, you're not. You're not. And
1: that's one of the things I like about the film, because it's a PG-13 film, so it is really aimed at younger audiences than, say, Child's Play. Right. There's not that meanness about the film the way you sometimes find in a horror film. It's a very forgiving movie. It likes everybody in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so you're not hoping that any of them get picked off. You're hoping that they all survive it.
0: Yeah, and... As we talked about in the last few weeks, the uh, box office problems that have befallen R-rated comedies lately, yeah, I think the going with the PG-13 and centering this around, you know, teenagers and young people could pay off quite handsomely. Well, it's, it's at the a box James office. Wan,
1: I mean, the, the whole Conjuring universe mm-hmm. is it manages to be creepy and sort of youngster, fr- not youngster friendly, but uh, you know, High they're school. not hard, they're not hard R's,
0: right? Exactly. Although,
1: the original Conjuring that movie is
0: yeah scary it AF, is. man. It is. And this one also throws some a uh, little bit of humor at yes, you. Yes, it does. So Thanks
1: particularly to this yeah, this pizza delivery guy who's hysterical.
0: Yeah, and a and a possible boyfriend for the one girl mm-hmm. who comes over and gets entangled with a werewolf, he which does. is okay. But yeah, all in all it is a, ha- a haunted house movie that gives you like you said about don't overthink these jump scares. They are handled pretty well and
1: yeah, it's not a masterpiece, no, but it's, it's not. fun. And it's, that's, that's it. It's and, not a masterpiece, but it's fun. And it's the best of the Annabelle movies. It is the best of the Annabelle It's not the scariest. You know, I think I think most people, uh, you know... Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. The first Annabelle film was kind of lame. The second Annabelle film tried harder. It, it was scarier and gorier. Uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> this one... It's not trying so hard to be scary. It's fun. It's spooky. Uh, Yeah, it's very enjoyable. So, yeah, I think so, too. The best of the three.
0: Got a documentary next, and it's centering on more classic pop rock. This is a look at the roots of the historic music scene in L.A.'s Laurel Canyon, featuring the music of iconic groups such as the Birds, the Beach Boys, Buffalo Springfield, Mamas and the Papas, and more. It's called Echo in the Canyon. The music that came out of the laurel canyon scene was inspiring to my generation the musicians and songwriters these records come all of a sudden like an avalanche and there's nothing like them before music happens at a particular moment in time and it changes everything going forward the
1: power of music is undeniable i truly believe it can change the world
0: Where big dreamers went to. Yeah, the baby boomer tunes on the big screen just won't stop. You know, You're we are we man. already talked about it yesterday. We had Queen, of course, last year. We had Elton John this year. In August, we are very much looking forward to Blinded by the Light, which is all based around Springsteen music. So yeah. if this is your type of music, this is a great time for you. And I, I really enjoyed this documentary. It is it's interesting. It was inspired by an old movie from 1969 called Model Shop. Now, it turns out that musician Jacob Dylan, Bob's son, and an ex-record executive, Andrew Slater, he used to be um, the president of Columbia Records, they both saw this old movie, I guess they were watching it together, and remarked that they thought the movie looked like a Beach Boys record. And so they just started digging into this Laurel Canyon music scene, and they became first-time documentarians. Uh, Andrew Slater directs and co-writes, and Jacob Dylan is an executive producer, and he serves as really the on-screen host. He does a lot of the inter- yeah, yep. interviewing, and uh, he also performs with some of the newer acts like Beck and Cat Power and Regina Spector. Who do updated versions of some of these songs? So it really digs deep into the creation of the songs, how the music scenes came together, and then giving these songs new coats of paint with the uh, with the newer artists. And it's really obviously you got some great music involved. And there's <laughs> the thing about it is there there are some fantastic stories. I mean, it talks to all these people, all the ones that are that are still living. And actually, it, I think it may be the last. Filmed interview that Tom Petty gave, yeah, to Jacob Dylan talking about. He tells a story about he got his copy of Pet Sounds because he won it on a radio station (laughs) call-in show. I'm like, wow, Tom Petty's the guy trying to be caller nine, you know? (laughs) And he was, and he won Pet Sounds, and you know, so you have great stories like that. Uh, And 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 at one point, David Crosby is talking to Jacob Dylan about the Dylan influence, and Jacob just deadpans, well, you'll have to be more specific, (laughs) (laughs) which I just busted out laughing. So, you know, the one thing about it is it's only 82 minutes, so -hmm. it does seem a little slight. It seems like they maybe could have gone on a little bit more, but I was captivated, and also not only serving as host, but as um, performer, it does at times smack of a little bit of a vanity project, for Jacob Dylan, now he comes off as very laid back and not a vain person at all. Mm-hmm. But he's he's in it a lot, you know, not only as as host but as a performer. It, it, it certainly doesn't ruin the movie, but maybe they could have found a way to lighten the load a little bit, maybe in his performing angle and let some of the uh, let some of the other newer performers take the lead. But
1: it's funny that you keep saying newer performers because they've all been they're 90s performers, <laughs> that is true. they're older performers, that they're just true. not
0: ancient. That's true. Well, but they're they're um, performers that were directly influenced Mm -hmm. by this music. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. So uh, newer generation, and and that's what they say. They were directly influenced by this music. But it's an interesting look at it. Uh, And, in fact, you get to the point where Graham Nash, who... He's almost. He becomes almost tearful in his uh, remembrances that he thinks years down the line, 5,100 years, whatever, he thinks that Laurel Canyon in the 1960s will be remembered on par with Paris in the 1930s for collaborative art. Mm. It was just so fruitful because they just talk about how everybody lived near each other and all they did was just show up at everybody's house with a guitar and let's play and let's write and (laughs) let's sing and it sounds like quite the bohemian existence and so much great music came out of it so if this interests you at all it's it's very worthwhile to check out Echo in the Canyon and one more in limited release this week it's a reimagining of Hamlet told from Ophelia's perspective and it's called Ophelia Ophelia! good morning my lady where does love reside?
1: Where truth, to Prince Hamlet, our no thoughts or no madness. The king, he is dead. Ophelia, these are strange
0: times in this castle. Be afraid. You will only be safe if you are afraid. So this is. Ophelia you're going to take back the story.
1: Yes, and I think the big question is, you know, uh, can the filmmaker and in particular the writer and R- Daisy Ridley who plays Ophelia, can they do justice to this all-time great tragic heroine? And the answer is kind of a tepid yes. Uh, I think the writing, our Cat McAlpine, who, not only does she write for us, but she is also a stage performer and a stage director. In fact, she directed...
0: She just directed an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet she did, yes. here in Columbus. So she knows her Shakespeare.
1: Right, this is actually why we asked her to do this. <laughs> <laughs> because it thought, well, let's give it to the expert. Uh, and I don't think we disagree with her, I. but right. what she thought was, first of all, the writing was very good. If you're trying to write something that is Shakespeare, but isn't the the side of the tale that he is telling, that's a tough, you know, that is a tough mountain to climb, and they do a nice job of it, but unfortunately, um, and it it feels like the characterization of Ophelia is somewhat shallow. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's quirky. Oh, the other girls don't like her because she's poor, and you know, I think everybody maybe hoped for more.
0: Yeah, it is based on a novel, so it's adapted there, but yeah, and Although Daisy Ridley plays Ophelia, mm-hmm. Daisy Ridley, of course, from Rey yeah. in Star Wars, and uh, she's good as always, but there are also some questions about chemistry because on screen, Ridley ends up having more chemistry with. Uh, Devon Terrell, who plays Horatio, than she does with Hamlet, although
1: obviously yeah. Ophelia and Hamlet should be the two that have chemistry. Exactly. Yes. And it's not
0: really anything. George McKay plays Hamlet, and nothing against his performance. It's just sometimes performers don't mesh as well yeah, exactly. with some than mm-hmm. others. Yeah. So there are definitely some some merit to the uh, adaptation here, uh, but it doesn't come through entirely successfully. And again, Cat uh, McAlpine wrote that full review for us. You can check it out at madwolf.com. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's
1: all go to the
0: lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Ooh, not a great week for the lobby and home video releases. We've got three on DVD. Tim Burton's Dumbo, which Mm -hmm. we were underwhelmed by, aside from the very intricate CGI Dumbo movements, which I thought, especially the facial expressions, which I like. Oh, yeah,
1: that's true. The the elephant looks... Well, and adorable Danny, and
0: Danny DaVito it, it performance. was great yeah. yeah
1: and and there were some interesting things going on with the Michael Keaton character but mm-hmm. on the whole yeah we were pretty disappointed in yeah. the movie
0: yeah and it it took strange swipes at its parent company it really I, I was, was
1: all on board that was what I thought was most interesting
0: really swiping at yeah. Disneyland yeah uh, which I mean, was interesting yeah it yeah. was a,
1: it was a, a an interesting choice to make uh it didn't really Re- serve any real purpose
0: yeah, and I, I think and I think the entire film just neutered. The effect of the story, which everybody remembers being so so <laughs> ugly, cry-inducing. Oh my God! You know, yes, it's, it's not. It's not in this movie at all. Also out on DVD, *The Aftermath*, another movie with good performances, yes. but oh, it's just it's just weighed down by just maudlin, dramatics oh, and stuff it that really, really is. we've seen a million times before. And uh, it would, you
1: know, and it's funny. There's the main story, which is this love triangle: Jason Clark, Kira Knightley, and. Uh, Skarsgård, Alexander scarsgard I wonder who comes out, anyway, um, uh, but that's, yeah, that's really what is the, the absolutely least interesting part of this film, there are these subplots with uh, the, a German daughter, and with just sort of yeah. what is happening in the town itself, and with kind of whether, uh, you know, what the military is doing makes good sense or doesn't, that's interesting, yeah, enough the to history. hold your premise, but... Yeah.
0: Yeah, because it's the, it's the British colonel and his wife, which is uh, Clark and Knightley, and they are assigned to live in Hamburg during the post-war Reconstruction. So, you know, the Germans have to move out of their houses, and uh, they let... Scarsgard and his his daughter live in the home that they had always lived in, and of course, well, the triangle, and yeah, I was with you on the history part of it, yeah, the thought side it was fascinating. plots were much more interesting. Yeah,
1: and Jason Clarke did a great job, and he really delivers most of the side plots, sort of, he's our, our avenue into those, and I think... For that reason even though the other two are so much prettier to look at I was much happier whenever Jason Clark was on screen because those yeah. were just more interesting pieces of, of information.
0: Well, Alexander Skarsgård turns up in the next one as well out on DVD. It's The Hummingbird Project. Um, some high frequency traders going up against their old boss trying to make millions off a fiber optic cable deal.
1: Yeah, um, and it's uh, Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg, Eisenberg and yeah. Skarsgård play cousins who want to lay this cable from, you know, one coast to the other no matter what they have to drill through to get there because it'll save like a tenth of a second when the stock exchange opens. Salma Hayek plays the person that they used to work for and she's out to make sure mm-hmm. that it doesn't happen. And she
0: figures out what they're doing and oh, they're trying to double cross me. Yeah,
1: yeah it's just not very good. It's just not <laughs> very good.
0: So yeah, so not a whole lot to get excited about on home video. But uh, boy, a couple of really interesting titles coming up next week. Yes, indeed. We've got Spider-Man Far From Home, which it's funny, we were supposed to see that like two nights ago. Yes. And the, the movie that had some sort of technical Glitch and the movie never did show. We
1: sat there for two hours Come and on. then they didn't show us the movie. Come on So Spidey. we're going to see it tomorrow.
0: I'm going to do that again and I'm going to start speaking in a bad British accent. <laughs> no! And then also one we have already seen, and it's taken us a while to sort out our thoughts about midsummer. Taken one
1: of us a while to sort out our th- thoughts. The other one had something written like a week ago. Come
0: on, though, you need a little time. You yeah, need, I you do. need a little downtime after no, that. You do. One. That you do. is a mind... midsummer, a mind yeah. effort, and it's it's by the guy who did our master hereditary. It's his follow up, and we loved hereditary so much. We but did. you know, hereditary was very polarizing. But I think this one is going to be more polarizing. I really do. Maybe. So we will. We will talk. About that next week as well. So, in the meantime, get in touch, keep the conversation going, talk about any of these movies. Love to hear from you. Easy to find us on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. Also on Instagram and Facebook, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And as we talked about, the main website where you can get all of our written reviews and also our other podcast, Horror Movies Only, in Fright Club. You can find us at madwolf.com. So until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.